0: Well, thanks for uh, allowing me to have a chat with you again. Um, some of the stuff I'm going to say, we have actually, have actually covered a little bit of it um, in the past, but this kind of brings things together in a, in a, in a different way. Um, when, you know, we, we're, we're now in the third year of, the, of Covid, okay? Which has caused something like 300 million people being infected with it, over 5 million have been dead. And that's a very, very conservative estimate. We really have no idea of the death. So uh, it's quite a good time to look back at some of the pandemics we've had and look ahead at what these pandemics can have in store for us as a, as, as a species, if you like. Um, the thesis I'm going to try and develop is that pandemics occur during particular set moments in history. And what they do is they not only um, deepen those, those fissures, those, 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 those currents that are, are there, but sometimes are able to direct them in different directions. So pandemics do have major roles in history. Um, and what I'm, what I'm gonna do is use, up, use five examples of pandemics throughout history coming up to our own. Just trying to illustrate the various aspects of what I'm trying to say, and to show that pandemics affect political, social, and um, economic consequences that, 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 that are in, in the life of humanity, really, okay? Um, before we do any, say anything, just want to say a few words about the role of microorganisms, because we tend to, because we don't see these damn things, okay? Because they're, they're you know, they're sub We don't. When we talk about nature, we tend to ignore what is, in fact, the largest biomass in numbers and the largest in biodiversity in terms of different forms of all the other creatures put together. The two microorganisms I'm going to talk about are just the viruses and bacteria. Really, the examples I'm going to give. I'm not going to talk about the other forms, like like um, archaeons and even things like prions, which, which which which. I'm sure we'll have its own talk if necessary. Um, Let's just take viruses first. I mean, we all know that viruses need, they can't reproduce themselves. They actually need a host to reproduce itself, okay? So if you just imagine that if every single creature on earth just had one unique virus, the diversity of viruses we have in this world is more than all the other creatures put together. And if you want to get an idea of the number, somebody actually sat in a coffee a coffee shop and, and you know on, on the back of an envelope, and, and worked out that if, that if if you put all the viruses in the world end to end, you will have a chain that it, a, a ray of light will take 200 years to go from one end to another. In other words, that chain will go way beyond our our, our galaxy and our our Milky Milky Way. So effectively, we're talking about a huge mass of diverse organisms, which of course most most of them will have nothing to do with human beings. Um, I mean, they are either don't, don't affect us or... or um, but it, it just gives you an idea of the diversity. Similarly with bacteria, all the bacteria can, don't, don't need a host to reproduce themselves. They're very, very numerous. Just to give a, um, a feel of that, each one of us who is sitting here talking and listening to this talk, each one of us will have more microbes in our body than all the cells of our body put together. And, um, and, and you can just go on and on looking, looking at numbers, just, just to give you a feel of how diverse they are, how numerous they are, and um, uh, that we should consider them as part of the biomass that, that exists around us, okay? Let's just think a little bit about, about infection, okay? If, if a microbe goes from an animal to a human, okay, that's a biological process. A microbe's going from a, a, a microbe to human. If it then goes from a human to a human and they can pass it can be passed along, in other words, it can survive within that human, be able to be passed on to another human and be passed on to another one, you create an epidemic and if and if, and if regions then start infecting other regions, you get a pandemic. The first action going from animal to human is a biological action. But the, but the transference of this microbe, this virus from a human to another human is, it's actually a social process. If you think about it, in other words, we're, we're, um, pandemics are a reflection at any moment in time of the social relations in any given moment in time, in a, in a particular uh, in a particular junction of history. Okay, and put, put it differently, pandemics is pandemics are human creations. Okay, pandemic in, in effectively humans it is us humans that create pandemics and of course they in turn affect our relations and that's the basis of talk i'm going to give and i'm going to use five pandemics okay two of them are with the bacteria which is the the plague virus the plague bacterium which occurred at the beginning and at the end of the middle ages then we're going to fast forward into the first world war and the uh huge epi- uh, influenza epidemic of the f- end of the First World War. We'll spend a little bit of time talking about the HIV pandemic which occurred in, this, in the 80s during the um, new liberal globalization. And then we'll come to our today's COVID, uh, COVID-19 pandemic. Let's just uh, look at the, at the plague first. Plague is caused by Yesenia pestis uh, a bacterium, which lives in the flea, that, that that inhabits rats and mice. Okay. And it can be passed on to humans, it can be passed on to cats, it can be passed on to dogs, some domestic animals like that. Okay, so a conjunction between rats, mice and humans is where this trans- tra- transmission occurs, and it can cause a pretty lethal disease with a mortality rate way into, the, you know, uh, uh, over 70-80% over mortality rate, particularly the pneumonic type of uh, thing. So, Um, I want us just to start with the year 541, okay? In the Eastern Roman Empire, Justinian is the Eastern Roman Emperor. Um, He's a warrior emperor. He likes to um, uh, unite the Eastern and Western Roman Empire together, So so he initiates a series of wars in Europe he's a conquering emperor, he's, he initiates his wars in North Africa, in Ethiopia, in, in, he, 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 be, he begins to fight the Sasanian, Iranian, um, kings, Sasanian kings in the uh, Asia Minor, he has sent armies into, into the Caucasus. In other words, there is movements over the, over this, his entire, his entire reign, there are movements of armies across Europe, across North Africa, uh, across the, uh, at the beginning of the Middle East, okay? In Iran, the Sasanian, the Sasanian king Anushiravan, Khosrow Anushiravan, has become the king. He has inherited a country that was in turmoil. It was in revolt and in turmoil, and he brutally puts it down by massacring uh, 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 the rebellion of a, of a new sect, new religious sect called the Mazdaks, who were very much an egalitarian kind of sect, had almost like communistic, like Concepts and by massacring over 200,000 of those, he initiates his, his, his reign. He's also a conquering emperor. He fights Justinian and um, in, in, in Asia Minor. They both fight together again in the Caucasus. He, he, he moves troops down into uh, the Arabian Peninsula and he moves into, into um, Central Asia. So, in other words, we have movement of armies, huge movement of armies over a period of time. And it is this movement of armies which carries the plague from one place to another. Now, we don't quite know when it initiated. It might have initiated in North Africa. It might have initiated in the uh, Kyrgyzstan, where today's Kyrgyzstan in, in Central Asia. It, it's, it's immaterial. The fact is that it, that it actually caused a huge devastation. Uh, we know about roughly about 100 million people died during this, this pandemic. And 100 million, when you think about it, or the population of that part of West Asia and Europe is a huge, proportion of that population. Um, Just to give you an example, one third of Constantinople, of the inhabitants of Constantinople died. In Europe, between 20 and 60% of the population died. So huge devastation, which caused eight years of famine. It was followed by eight years of famine. Agriculture was totally destroyed and was the beginning of the rotational crop um, uh, system, crop, crop. um, crop rotation where we had uh, wheat, and then what would the year next, on the same piece of land, you had the next year you put another crop, and then you had the year that was fallow, that which, which improved the productivity of land. Okay. <clears throat> and um, in, the, in the West, in Western Europe, the, the Western Roman Empire never really recovered after, after this pandemic. And we had these new kingdoms developing, feudalism developed during this time. They, the peasant was then now stuck to the land, so serfdom began in, in Western Europe, and effectively we had the beginning of countries. We had the beginning of serfdom, we began feudalism. So the Middle Ages had begun. In Iran, something quite the opposite happened. If you like, the large the the, the famine and the famine and the, and the and the and the plague caused destruction of the of the uh, of the large landowners. Okay, what this did was created a new class of smaller landowners, which actually were really sort of small, um, low-level aristocracy, who, who, who was sort of, uh, if you like, low-ranking aristocracy, which created a new class. And so it was added to the three or, or the recognized classes in the Sasanian society, which were the aristocracy, the clergy, the commoners. And now we had these, uh, this new class, dehqan, which I could translate as farmers. So they were effectively small uh, landlords, what this did was stank, strengthen the centralized government. And the wars, I know you with with this, with this more, more powerful centralized government allowed the creation of the silk route. So the, the, the large silk route, took trade f- which, which linked trade from China across uh, the Middle East into, into Europe. This was the, the beginning of that time. <clears throat> and when about hundred years later, that route was disrupted because of bandits and and, and breakdown in in, in civil society. It it allowed Arab, the newly uh, uh, arisen Arab merchants, which rose under the banner of Islam, to spread the same routes, the same trade across North and take over the the East-West trade across the Mediterranean, across North Africa, across to Europe, okay? So that was the consequence, if you like, of the first pandemic of, yeah, of the of, of the plague, the same uh, bacterium. If we now move forward uh, about eight centuries into 1346, now 13. Let's now concentrate now in most, most in Europe because the most data we have of the Great Black Death is actually from Europe. We have city states uh, like Venice, like like Genoa, <clears throat> like um, uh, 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 sort of port states. Okay, which which we actually had control of the trade in the Mediterranean. And we, we believe that it was through this, this trade from the Mediterranean that the rats were carried from North Africa, probably, in ships into the, into the ports, And then from the ports it then spread across the entire continent. It went as far north as Denmark, as far west as, as England, and, and, and then went to the Middle East as well. And we have some data about, about the Mediterranean, at least part of the Middle East, which was also devastated. Whatever uh, the, the, From the, inf- the, the data we have, it looks as if it was a hu- hugely devastating. It caused something a third to a quarter of Europe's population died. The, pop- the population actually, about one-tenth of all the farms in Europe, all the, all the villages in Europe, dis- all the farms in Europe disappeared forever, never, were never reconstituted again. The population in 1346 fell to below what it was in in 1219, that was for half a century earlier. And it took at least a century and a half again, until the 16th century before the population came back to where it was before. So major devastation. And what it caused was the price of land fell. So merchants who had more capital were able then to invest in land and became the new landlords. Feudals were weakened. The peasants were therefore liberated and in East Western Europe, serfdom ceased and never came back again, Western Europe. In Eastern Europe, they were able to re- reinstitute it again later on, but in Western Europe, serfdom never came back. The freely mobile labor came into, into the cities and of course the price of labor went up. And when the price of labor went up, so innovate, that stimulated the innovation in, in, in technology and in, in production. Merchant capital, which now becomes the, the only capital that was, that, that was not really da- damaged that much, was able to invest in um, not only just in land but also in, in industry and became part of the new industrial capital. One beautiful example of that is the is the West is the Welser family in South Germany who were originally flax merchants. And then they started producing flax themselves in, in, their, in the farms, they actually planted and produced flax and later and also were selling it. So they became a hugely massively rich sort of industrial agricultural combine. And the Wesley family later on moved to Venezuela and actually owned Venezuela for, for, for a long period of time. They became the virtual owners of Venezuela. And there are many more examples of, of, of this. So that because because of all the developments we talked about, the banking the system the system system of banking was strengthened. Just remember the Medici family who became wildly rich in banking to 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 to, to accommodate this, this this mobility in 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 capital across the across Europe, and the um, the net result was this. Uh, because because the price of labor had gone up, you had to su- suppress that price of labor, and it was actually suppressed within the next two or three decades. After that, it, the central state become became stronger. It, be, it was able to, co- to collect more more um, um, uh, um, tax taxation, <clears throat> and um, effectively, we we see the the, the what, what what was already happening across Europe, which was the beginning of capitalism, it was it accentuated and, and sped up the development of capitalism, uh, the Black Death. We can, we can discuss it later if people uh, who know more, more about these things than I do can actually come in and help out on this one. Let's move now to viruses, okay, and we move, we're now moving a few more centuries forwards, and we're now in at the end of the First World War, okay. The virus is uh, the H1N1. Um, Uh, influenza virus, and its genes have come originally partly from swine, partly from bird, okay? And this is a particular characteristic of influenza, where you can actually exchange uh, just bunches of genes from between one species and another, and it creates a new species which if you like a mosaic, uh, a chimera of two or sometimes more different uh, viruses, okay? This is a, a characteristic of of uh, influenza as well as other viruses, so this kind of reconstitution gives it quite a, a great flexibility in developing and changing. So the H1N1 at the beginning of the First World War developed mutations that, that make it made it much more infectious. Okay, made it not only much more infectious, it was actually it became more lethal. So when a, no, a normal um, uh, seasonal flu that we talk that, that we see every year kills around point 0.001% of people with effects. If you, if you look at the whole population as a whole, 0.001. Here, the mortality rate was between one and 3%. It doesn't sound very high, one to 3%. When you talk about millions of people being affected, the actual numbers go up. <clears throat> so what was the background then? So the background here was World War I, Troop movements, not just across Europe, but from the colonies, from France, from Africa, from Africa, from from, from India, from the uh, from the uh, from other parts of Asia and and other parts of the world, to here. So there was huge movement of troops. We have troop movement. We had hunger. Do you remember the the war. They the, not only just the, the hunger caused by the war itself, but the actual. Blockade of European ports by by the by the Allies against the Germans had produced mass hunger across the, across the country, weakening the population and making them more susceptible to to infection. And of course, there was social upheavals. We had the Russian Revolution of nineteen seventeen in the background. It is it is in the, with this background that the U.S. joined the war and brought with it the, uh, the influenza virus. So we think the influenza virus actually came from. U.S. Probably they're being transferred to the troops via via the, the pig farms in the United States. They came to Europe and it rapidly spread across Europe and across Asia and across Africa. We're talking about the death of fifty to one hundred million people. Now that's much more than actually died during the war itself. The influenza epidemic actually had, more, had a big bigger mortality than the war itself. Um, this, is, this was particularly true. In places outside Europe, India lost five percent of its population. Five percent of its population. Iran lost between eight and twenty percent of its population, as a, as an estimate. Okay, but partly caused by the virus, but partly caused by, by the famines that were associated with the with the with the mortality of the virus. And these had major consequences after the, after that. Um, in Europe, about just to give you an idea how it happened to Europe, Europe about half to 1.5% of the population died. Um, And in US, of course, because being further away from the war, further away from the influenza epidemic, actually was much less than that. So effectively, the US was damaged much less than Europe. Already a country which already was from from, from the capitalist development point of view, was was the the largest capitalist economy in the the world, now became even more so. After this pandemic and after the war, there was the the GDP in the US dropped by 1.5%, in Europe it dropped more than 6%. So that disparity between capitalism in Europe and capitalism in America was accentuated by the war and the the, subsequent um, uh, slaughter caused by the pandemic. This caused, in Europe, major, major upheavals. We had, we had strikes, we had strikes, we had revolutions, we had revolutions in Germany, in, in, in Eastern Europe, and, and um, there, was, there, was, there was social upheaval in almost every single country in Europe, as you, as you all know. Um, even Switzerland, even, which was neutral, you know, peaceful, quiet, gentle, cuckoo land, Switzerland actually came near to civil war. But the difference in the mortality between Europe and Asia was also reflected in the in the in the in the impact it had in 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 in, 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 in particularly in Asia, where the, where 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 the anti-imperialist movements were very much um, uh, stimulated after the war and 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 accentuated to some extent by these by the pandemics. Just to give you an example, the Indian Congress until then had had really demanded reforms within the colonial system. From then on, they demanded independence. In Java, we had, major, we, had ma- we had major industrial strikes across the whole of Asia. In Java, we had sugar, sugar factories workers going on, on strike. Um, British plantations in Assam went on strike. There were was, was strikes everywhere. The anti-imperialist movements everywhere in, in Asia was, was accentuated. In Iran, the famine and the rubbish, which was followed followed the, uh, the war and the pandemic, which as I said, had killed between 8 and 20% really weakened the relationship between peasant and the feudal farmers or water farmers, you know, the, 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 the landowners and, and peasants, and paved the way for Reza Shah to create the modern state that the, the modern Iranian state that we uh, we uh, have today. Okay. <clears throat> so that's all I was going to say about the about H1, H1N1. Now I want to, want to, want to move now, to um, the late 80s. Now, around the early part of the 20th century, um, we think roughly around some sometime, sometime in the early 20th century, a virus, a retrovirus, which was in the chimpanzee, already itself was a, was, a, was a combination virus from two other monkeys that the chimpanzee had actually eaten, um, uh, moved from chimpanzee to man in Cameroon, okay? It moved there probably through um, through what, what was called bushmeat, okay, you know, was eaten and during the process, the blood got mixed up and got in there. And we think that during, during the, the, those 50, 40, 50 years until the middle of the century, there would be families here in so this, one village there, one village there in Cameroon with this disease that would kill a family, would kill a village after a few years, this, this mysterious disease, and it stayed there. After the 50s, this virus, suddenly began to spread across Africa and then spread across the world. In a very short period of time, it became global. What is it that actually uh, caused the virus that was localized to a corner of Cameroon to become a global pandemic? Let's look at how it spread around Africa. Around Africa, there were two elements that that started to spread. It was the growth of mining, and this was a time when Africa was they they started exploiting African mines, and we now have mines right the way across from the east. You know, you can start from uh, on West Africa and going all in arc all the way down into Southern Africa, of mines, tin mines, gold, gold mines, diamond mines, um, copper mines. I mean, the wealth of 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 this this virgin land uh, was began began started being exploited and and plundered. And with it was improved transport. The, the first one was the Congo River became navigate, navigable. They, they, they opened up the Congo River navigable, which allowed the, 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 the workers from the Cameroon to go down into the mines in, in the Congo. Okay. And from then on, these, the, the, to, the, it was the roads that were built to, to, to move the stuff from mines into, the, into the, to the ports that then carried them to Europe and to America and to other places. So effectively, a combination of mining and transport was the backdrop to this um, the, the spread. But who got it? Well, remember, we, we did talk about this, some of you may remember, we talked about it some years ago. <clears throat> you, had, you, had, you, had the, you had a mobile workforce. In Africa, the world workforce became completely mobile. I mean, just to give you an example, in, in um, uh, Côte d'Ivoire, in uh, um, in Ivory Coast, a quarter of all the workers were actually migrant workers, similar to in South Africa and in other places. They were housed in single sex dormitories, away from their families for days, weeks, and sometimes for months, okay? And they were serviced by women, casual sex workers, um, uh, commercial sex workers, by sex workers um, uh, during during that period of time. The women who were, the, the families were left behind. The women had nothing, no work to do. This was a time when the IMF had actually, with its with this, with this policy of, of privatization, has destroyed, had destroyed even the rudimentary social welfare services that existed in some of the African countries. And effectively, there was no other work to do for women who were in the lowest rank of, of, of that social structure, except to sell their own their own their own, their, their own bodies. Hence we have <coughs> um, even, even the help of the, of, the, of, of, the, of the management in this. I mean, one example I've I given you before, I think, is that in Ivory Coast, there was this huge, large um, uh, industrial farm, actually, act- where every fr- Saturday on Sunday, which was payday, the buses would bus in uh, busloads of uh, sex workers for the weekend. And each sex worker would, would, would service between 20 to 20, 25 um, uh, clients. And so you can see how the whole setup was really easy, created for, for a transmission of virus from one person to another. Lorry drivers were the other group of people. People who were, were, were taking the products of these mines through um, roads from, into, through, for example, through uh, Uganda and Kenya into, into Mombasa. And if you follow the routes from, that, from, from the, on those highways, the nearer you were to those highways, the village, the higher was the rate of HIV. In some villages over 80-90% over of the women in those villages were actually infected with HIV. It was the sex workers giving services to these lorry drivers who then went home and went back. All of the workers and the lorry drivers went home to give it to their wives and their families. <clears throat> so that was the route of spread within Africa and then across the world. Even in in, in, in in the Far East, it was the drug addiction. It was drugs, and now the the mobilization of money allowed uh, drug smugglers. I mean, the, the huge 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 rise in in, in transnational drug smuggling and <clears throat> and rise in drug addiction in the Far East, in Burma, in in Thailand, in in, in countries like in countries like that, and, and and then later on when the Soviet Union uh, when the Soviet bloc Collapse in the in the countries in Soviet, Soviet bloc where drug addiction and, and sharing of needles. Just remember HIV is transmitted by sex, by sharing blood, blood, and from mother-to-child transmission. So the only three ways it can actually transmit itself. <clears throat> and then of course the sex work, the sex work in the far east and through sex tourism that was particularly uh, marked in places like Thailand, but also in, in, the, other, in the other countries the far east. Um, the cause of all this, as we already alluded to, is the um, new liberal globalization, which mobilized, which 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 freed the uh, workforce to move, so highly mobile workforce, highly mobile money. Uh, just to give you an example, the sort of circ- circulating money in. 1980, there was $2 trillion of circulating money in 1980. In year 2000, 20 years later, this was $20 trillion. In 2020, this had risen between $600 and $1,200 trillion of, of, if you like, floating money, of which some of which was um, used in illegal drug and human smuggling across borders, which now accounts for a significant portion of global trade, um, according to UN, for instance, <clears> that twenty-one million people at the moment, and this this moment is time, twenty-one million people are have been driven, men, women, and children have been used as as uh, a dra- have been trafficked and effectively as slaves, um, having been trafficked across the world, across the world. I've <clears throat> just given you a sort of sort of brief glance of of of, of a sort of mechanism in which a, 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 a virus which was very localized can become globalized through changes in economic policy and in relationships between, 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 between humans. Um, perhaps that of the consequences of the uh, HIV pandemic, I'd just like to alluded to, I just, I'm just, just picking almost at random two that I would like just to talk about. One of them is that I think is quite an interesting one. It's since the HIV, Almost every single new drug that has been produced was actually produced in uh, uh, laboratories or universities or what have you, that were funded by governments, in other words, funded socially. Once something came out of it, like for instance, hepatitis C drugs that came out, and now the vaccines that we're using today in COVID-19, once that the original expenditure showed that you actually can produce something that was taken off by the drug companies and made into profit. So the expenditure, the risk was taken on public money, the profit has become privatized, okay? And this has become much more, you cannot think of a single major drug, not, not me too drugs, but single major drug group over the last 20, 30 years that actually has not been along this pathway I'm talking about drugs and particularly vaccines now because vaccines no drug no drug company was interested in 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 in, in searching on vaccine because it's very expensive and the and the um, uh, the yield of in financial yield was usually not very much. Now with this way it's going, of course, Pfizer is making a fortune. <clears throat> we'll, we'll come back we'll come to that when we talk about our, our final pandemic. The other thing I wanted to talk about is one thing that we noticed we actually studied well during the HIV epidemic, which is the change in social behavior, which almost certainly had occurred in all the other pandemics as well. But now we've been looking at it and watching it. And it's a very interesting combination, which I want you to just for, for one second um, look at. We have a combination of solidarity with the victims and repulsion, distrust. And that combination is an interesting combination because the distrust, actually then leads to a a denial. And you can see that very much with our current pandemic where effectively you have larger and larger sections of the population effectively denying the existence of this particular drug. Same thing happened with HIV. And of course, the other side of the coin of denial is risk-taking. We saw that in HIV and we see that in in COVID-19, which brings us really to, to our today's pandemic. And I want us to look at the, today's pandemics from the, from the point of view of the microorganism, okay? What is, what is this world that we've created that makes it so much easier for the microorganism to become, uh, to move from person to person, region to region, and very rapidly become um, a pandemic? Just remember, it only took a couple of months for the, for the virus to move from one po- point in space, space-time, into the entire world, okay? really the most amazingly rapid movement. What is it that did that? And you, could, you can answer that by the word mobility. We are in, we're in a world that everything is mobile. Humans are mobile, production's mobile, commodities are mobile, productions are broken down are mobile. Every, the human, human beings have always been the most mobile of all mammals. And of course, technology and, and, and the way we organize ourselves. These days has has accentuated that almost to insane levels of mobility that we have. Just, just just to just remind ourselves, for instance, in 2019, four and a half million people flew one place to another. Okay. So that is just an ideal for a virus, okay? And sitting on sitting on the back of one of these mobile things. The other point want, the other the other aspect that assists the movement of a virus from an animal source into a human source is, is, is industrial, industrial agriculture, okay? Now, let me just give you one, uh, one concrete example. In 1967, there were 1 million pig farms in the United States. In 2003, there was 100,000. In other words, there was a tenfold reduction in other words it, while of course the whole production of pig, pigs are actually expanded so you can see how the collection the collect, the gramming, the, the cramming together of these of the of the pigs makes it so just remember the the, the influenza virus was a swine bird so in other, in other words genes from a bird influenza and genes from a swine influenza got together and you can talk you can think of that of other viruses that are able to Adapt themselves to that and adapt themselves to be transmitted to a human host. Okay. <clears throat> Just to give an idea of, of, the, of, the, of, the, of the volume of meat we're talking about, we're talking about globally 1.5 billion cattle, 1 billion pigs, 20 billion um, poultry across the world, half of which, half of which. Are produced in industrial farms. Okay, so here we have, uh, if you like, a laboratory, a, a, a petri dish ready for the mixing of viruses um, uh, uh, from different species together. And of course, by cramming them together, you put them in easier touch, not just with each other, but with other wild animals like birds, like like rodents, etc., etc. Okay, <clears throat> so that's one. That's one part of the story. We have an assault on nature. We have been there's no part of nature anymore now, which is which is virgin. We have gone into every single virgin virgin forest that we have in Amazon. We've gone into all, all the virgin uh, forests in, in in Africa, in Indonesia, etc. etc. Okay, by going into those those re- regions, you have liberated. You have brought in contact humans and whatever they have with them, with new viruses that had not seen humans. In other words, giving opportunities for new creations of new viruses that can, if they're lucky, most of them won't, but some can but adapt to human beings. And if they can go from one human being to another, that, just, that is an epidemic and a pandemic for you, okay? Then of course, wars. I mean, we have, we have there's not been a single year since the Second World War, where we have not had wars somewhere in the world. And tourism, both tourism as tourism, but also more and more people are mil- uh, tourism in milk pilgrimage, pilgrimages um, in India across to the Ganges, pilgrimages from across the world to Mecca, etc., etc., Okay, just to give an idea of the population movement that we're talking about, just give you a couple of figures, and I'm, I'm nearly going to finish on this one. Okay, in 2019, the UN. Um, estimated that in in that one year alone, 33.4 million people were uprooted in one year alone, 2019. and In 2020, 280 million people live somewhere where they were not born in another country, which was not the country of birth, 240, 80 million people. 10% currently, 10% of the world population actually are um, migrants. But here it is, the background where COVID can come in. So what advantage did COVID have, okay? This is our third coronavirus pandemic. We already had two before, one 2003, one 2009. We had the SARS and we had the MERS pandemic, both of which were actually, did not spread for reasons that I will just explain, explain to you in a minute, okay? This particular one, the third wave of corona, the reason it was so successful is that A, is highly infectious. And we can actually give a figure to that because we have in, in epidemiology a figure called R0. r naught is the number of people one single infected person can infect. So R0 for COVID was 1.2 to 1.6. In other words, each person on average would infect 1.2 people, 1.6. You just have to multiply that in, in your head you know, and in, 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 in time to see how rapidly that is. The Delta variant, which is now taking over the whole world, the one hour value was six. That's as infectious as measles, okay? And this new creature that's come along, the Omicron, okay, then I'm running out of the Greek word letters that I knew about, okay? The Omicron is even more infectious than, um, uh, apparently even more infectious, infectious than the Delta, okay? So it's a highly infectious virus, that actually does not kill a huge number of people. That's another advantage it has, okay? Because if you kill, if you kill a lot of people, like Ebola does, then it's very easy to, to, to isolate it and to, to control it and to destroy it, okay? By separating those infected people from the non-infected people. If you only kill a small number, relatively, then all the others who are not killed, or even those, even better, if who don't have any symptoms, become a source of passing on without killing. So, I mean, that's why influenza is so, so 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 efficient. It kills 0.001. Now, this virus kills about 0.1% of people. Now, that may seem small. In fact, in, over, in the over 60s, it's about 3%, which is really quite large. But this compares, for instance, to SARS, which killed 10% and Ebola, which killed 80 to 90%, okay? So it is efficient in the sense that it kills Relatively small number of people, but you multiply that by my by millions, or billions, and you will have a huge number. Okay. And of course, we're not we're talking about death. We're not talking about debilitation. We're not talking about disease. We're not talking about our, the other factors of that. So, what are the effects of this? Of this? I think it's too early to say, but already we can see, we can actually look at some of the effects, like changes in work habits, perhaps even changes in the way we are producing. You know, this this chain. Production where a product would t- would be produced in five or six different countries that may well change now that um, this pandemic has actually interrupted that the biggest interruption with this particular pandemic pandemic was the interruption in the in the supply chain across the world half the world economy actually stopped uh, for 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 a brief period um, you know more about this than I do um, and I think it has accentuated and I mean this is now a personal view it's accentuated the U S and um, the the the, 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 weak, the weakening of U.S. hegemony in the world. And, and I'll give you one example of that. All previous pandemics that have occurred, like the Ebola even occurred five years ago, okay? Oh, the epidemic, the Ebola pandemic, or, or the ones that occurred before that, all the previous ones, when the CDC, Center of Disease Control of the U.S., actually made, sets, you know, it, it would take over the control of the entire world of the way that they dealt with it. The entire world would follow the direction of CDC. In this particular pandemic, where is the CDC? <clears throat> and it's really interesting. To me, to me it's, it's telling me something about the inability of the US even to deal with its own problem inside, let alone guide the rest of the world in terms of how to deal with it. They dealt with it very effectively with the Ebola. They dealt with it very effectively in SARS. They, they, this time they're non-existent and continue to be non-existent. We have not had a global response to a global problem and it's twe- we're all, we are on year three and we still don't have a global response. A new virus comes in, new 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 uh, uh, variant comes in this week and you see each different country behaving, <coughs> going in its own independent way. There is no global response. That's interesting and I think that's that's telling us something about the structure of the, uh, the capitalist world as we as as we see it developing. Um, I'm just gonna finish by just to, to say to you that I've not said anything about the relationship between viruses, bacteria, their development, and global warming, okay? And that's a, a huge field in itself. And these two are obviously quite interrelated with each other. One cause, one one the eccentricity, the other, the other. And that, so effectively, we are talking about nature. So, Let me just sum sum up, what I've tried to argue is the pandemics are man-made and they are the child of social, economic and political relations, okay. If I was to update Rosa Luxemburg's statement, what she made, um, that in front of us is either barbarism or socialism, I'd like to define now, define barbarism. I think we can now define that barbarism slightly better. I think we can define barbarism in this way, I think. This is my personal view. That while nature is treated as a commodity, while salt on the nature continues, while we, unless we completely change radically and fundamentally the way we live with collectively with each other, then perhaps the barbarism that's that that is in front of us if it wasn't going to be socialism is a chain of global pandemics which may te- which will terminate in the victory of nature or part of nature really over the other part of nature including humanity so i think out of this upheaval of pandemics 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 will be the barbarism that um, Rosa Luxemburg quite quite rightly predicted, if we don't change the way we live. I think I'll stop there and, and take any questions for anyone else.